0: Hello, welcome to some Dervis talk about games. I'm your co-host, Mango.
1: And I am your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about working from home. But before we do, that, Buddy, why want not you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we talk about games. But there are extenuating circumstances where sometimes we'll break branch out a little bit. Um, and something that has become, shall we say, more important over the last couple of uh, weeks is the present uh, is is quarantining social distancing right um keeping yourself from uh large amounts of contact with other peoples in order to protect against uh the covid19 coronavirus and thus we find ourselves in a situation where a lot of people are working remotely and working from home
0: yeah and uh uh buddy as uh, people, as our audience may or may not know, um, works entirely from home uh, all the time. Your your company has has no physical office location, correct? Or does it have one? And it's just like only a couple people.
1: So we actually do have a an office location. It is my boss david's house but in general we don't have like a big real office with like a ton of computers you know what i mean if everybody who works for the company showed up to david's house one day there would not be enough room to to house most of us it. it's just like a one day a week and even that has been you know ditched in recent efforts um to prevent uh you know epidemic outbreak that kind of that kind of thing from happening um and it's really useful right like working remotely uh reduces the company's overhead by a lot because you don't have to pay a lease. You don't have to, you know, buy equipment. You don't have to do X and Y and Z. Um, But it does require you to make certain kinds of decisions a little bit differently than you would be if everybody was sitting in an office uh, or a conference room together or, you know, what have you.
0: Yeah, and um, uh, uh, in addition to that, you can do things like you can pull from a wider talent pool if there's not – you don't have to physically come into the office because you can – pull people from further away, especially like, depending on how occasional your in-person meetings are, right? Like, there's some companies that do like totally remote workforces spread throughout um, the country, even multiple countries at, at some levels. Um, uh, and, you know, there's some time zone uh, coordination problems there, but that's like generally achievable. And then at that point, you make it easier for people to say live where they want, maybe live in a place that's less expensive than, you know, San Francisco, New York, LA, which are very expensive cities to live in, et cetera, et cetera. Although that didn't seem to have kept you from living in LA. Um, but uh, uh, from just for the other side of this, I have I have worked only for companies that have relocations, but um, the companies that I've worked for have all had relatively generous work from home policies. Um, and so I have done some of that. I personally prefer the office because I find it easier to concentrate, but that's actually exactly what... Uh I think this podcast is a, is supposed to be about like um how to deal with that kind of thing. Um obviously you are the master so I will defer to you in uh in kind of these matters but uh how do you, how do you want to start this off?
1: Uh I guess I want to talk a little bit. Well so funnily enough you have been working from home more than I have been, right? Uh, because you've been working home for for like longer in like the ab- with the ability to work from home, right? Fair. I never really had the ability to work from home when I was working at Square Enix because like obviously a lot of the stuff that we do there is proprietary. You know they don't want like GMs walking home with incredibly powerful tools, uh, in uh for to command fourteen in their pocket. Um, but then I started working at then I started working at Akupar. I've been at Akupar for about a year. And, uh, and that has been, like, fully remote the entire time. Uh, what were your first experiences like when you were working? Like, when you were in San Francisco working for an app developer, and let's say you were sick, right? Uh, or I guess not an app developer, but, like, just you were, you, for whatever reason, you took a day and you were working from home. What, what did that typical day look like? Did you feel like you were successful at it? Um,
0: so, so, no one tell my former employer's or my current or future employers for that matter. But generally, it was a way for me to kind of like slack off um, in in a word. Um, Usually, it was also for like to do like generally chores, right? Like do laundry, uh, maybe handle some grocery shopping. Um, uh, But that's like a thing. I was just like not as good at it. Um, The most successful I was was when I was like moderately sick. Um, but not like incapacitated, and I felt like I could do something rather than just kind kind of, uh, you know, go to the office and affect everybody. Um, but I would say that I was less than successful at being a, a diligent work from home type of person. Um, gotcha.
1: Yeah, no, I, I had a similar experience uh, when I first started, like I first got started. Uh, at Akupara, just because, like, I didn't have, I didn't quite realize how well-structured my days were at Square Enix, but they were very well-structured. Um, which is to say that, like, you know, I had a shift, and my shift started at X time, I had you know, lunch at Y time. And these things were like very regimented, you know, because it was really important that as a supervisor, I was on the floor when I needed to be on the floor. Um, But I also got like, you know, breaks and my lunch and everything else like that. And so like, I structured that day the way I did very kind of, um, very kind of discreetly. And when I first started working uh, for Akupara, I didn't carry over any of that structure. And it was a huge problem for me because I was doing this thing where I was kind of like blending in and out of, sort of, like, home stuff and work stuff um, all the time. And that was just, like, incredibly detrimental. And so I very quickly brought on that sort of regimenting, right? Where my my day starts at 10 a.m. and it effectively ends at 7 p.m. With, you know, lunch in in between there to make that effectively a nine-hour, right? Like, an eight-hour day but with a one-hour lunch in the middle of the day. Um, and, in fact, that lunch became, like, a really important piece of it that I have weirdly abandoned for for coronavirus because, obviously, a lot of places are closed and, you know, getting outside of the house is discouraged and et cetera, et cetera. But for a long time, you know, and part of what I think translated into success for me working, uh, working remotely, it was that middle of the day getting out of the house at, you know, one or two or whatever um, and then taking a walk and coming back upstairs – and getting back into the swing of things do you know what i mean
0: yeah no uh, uh, absolutely absolutely that kind of regimentation i think i i i find to be helpful too right like i was never on a, a set schedule like you were but um i have maintained for most of my working life you know get in at nine um and uh you know leave somewhere between five and six um you know lunch works as as, as it does um Uh, And that that just like that kind of having making myself stick to that schedule generally works for me. And it was very easy to kind of like abandon that when I was working from home, right? Like sleep in, especially when I was out in San Francisco, I I had really bad sleeping patterns. And so it'd be very easy for me to like, you know, ad hoc, you know, have played video games till three or four in the morning, wake up and be like, well, I guess I'm working from home today and continue to sleep, you know, in a way that was that was not productive. But, you know. Um, I... Yeah,
1: no, that's why that's why I start my days a little bit later. Because I, I, first of all, I don't feel good in the mornings. Um, this was very true when I was working the deep early morning shift at Square Enix, where basically from my shift was 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. Right, and uh, and those first five hours were just like zombie mode, right? And I didn't feel like I was doing effective, like I was doing effective work at all. Uh, But all of a sudden, when I went out of the graveyard shift, I was a lot more comfortable on it. And I kind of realized that my, like, native sleep schedule is somewhere around going to bed at 1 or 2 in the morning, getting up, you know, around 9 or 10. Typically, these days, I will get up at 9, but just kind of do that thing where you're just, like, rolling around in bed, checking messages, etc. Until I really, you know, start the day uh at 10 the uh, the other piece of this is creating a routine inside of what i was inside of like what i do each day like so for instance <clears throat> i'm obviously responsible for uh the twitter account and all of that kind of stuff and the social like all of the social posts that we put up daily which you know plenty of times is one or two or three um posts those go out typically at 11 a.m. That's kind of our like sweet spot where we tend to get the most uh, like engagement and traction, right? So, most Akupara posts you will see at 11 a.m. Um, that first hour is generally speaking dedicated to the like checking messages on the different platforms, responding to people, reading the e- like reading my email. Um, And kind of, like, booting up for the day, and then 11 a.m., my social posts go out, and then I kind of transition into the back half of my day, which is a lot more, like, uh, task-oriented, right? Where I am saying, okay, I need to make GIFs, I need to, you know, write the blog, I need to write copy for this, right? an email for that, those sorts of uh, things happen after that sort of one hour of kind of like regimented time, just dedicated to kind of like booting up, uh, booting up something like that. Do you have a similar sort of thing like in your work? Uh,
0: so it's so, so the way that this usually gets called, at least what I've heard is called the maker schedule. And uh, for, for I'm, I'm a programmer and when you're programming, you kind of really want to, push towards entering, um, a different term that I've heard called flow, um, where you want to kind of just like be in the zone and code and be uninterrupted for large, large blocks of time. Um, and theoretically that's actually easier to do at home because you don't have somebody like, you know, asking you a question over, you know, uh, uh you know, o- across the desk and like breaking your, your concentration. Um, uh, and so like I have found actually when I can get myself into that state at home, um, it's actually pretty, it works out pretty well for me because I can just like start going and then like go until like, usually, usually I have two blocks. It's usually the morning block, which is whenever I get in until noonish when I take my lunch. Um, and usually that, and sometimes that's not even like taking lunch, just like, you know, eating a protein bar and, and, uh, and like taking a 15 minute break to read something. Um, and then an the afternoon block, which is whenever that ends to the end of the day, um, and if I can like maintain those blocks, get myself into those blocks, I I I, I can hit pretty high productivity. No. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I have a similar sort of, I have a similar sort of thing with like tasking in in the back half of my day. I call it the back half, but really it is the meat of my day, since that first hour is just one hour, right? Um, like so, for instance, I take my lunch at a pretty flexible time. It could be anywhere from right like noon to three or four i've definitely taken very very late lunches before um and it almost always coincides with as i complete things um i never want to take a lunch in the middle of a task right like so if i'm editing a like okay so let's say i'm editing a video that i'm like making or whatever taking a break in the middle of that editing process is very disruptive Right, and now editing a video takes a while. You know, like let's say it takes eight hours. You do need to find a four-hour chunk in there, but typically it'll be something like, okay, I'm going to set all of the graphical effects, but I'm not going to worry about this other piece of the video until after. Right, um, and that became a pretty important piece of my of like the way that I handle things. Right, um, having the thing that I am doing for the day be there. Right, I am going to write copy for the blog completing that task, sending it off to whoever else, you know, in the giant chain of command that is getting all of this stuff done and approved and set up and whatever else, um, taking, taking an hour to go eat, you know, a half hour for what a 45 minutes, whatever it is. Um, and then coming back and starting something fresh essentially, uh, I think was like really important. And it's also pretty crucial to note that in most cases this does mean that I get up and leave, right? Like I don't sit in my house And eat lunch at my desk, because I thought I always thought it was very important for me to uh, like get out of the house and get some fresh air when it came to this stuff. Now in the in the age of coronavirus, where I basically have stopped going out for these lunches, I actually don't think that it's quite that important anymore. But I think at the time it was really important to transition me into working remotely efficiently. Does that make sense? No, I, I, absolutely. <coughs> and, and
0: I found something kind of similar. Um, you, you like. I think there's a difference when you're like kind of like set up to work from home, and when you just like happen to work from home every once in a while, right? Oh like, yeah, yeah. Like when I, especially when I was out in uh, California, um, working from home meant my laptop somewhere. Um, I first tried to like put it on my desk where my regular computer was, and that was just disastrous, right? Like that's very easy for me to kind of like, you know, like, well, I could like, you know, play League of Legends on my desktop. That's like literally inches. Um, Something that I got better at was like working basically out in the living room. Um, And now, um, because we're kind of in Corona mode um, but I was like our state was in a, under huge lockdown uh, for a little while. So I was able to like get my get a couple of my monitors from work um, and set up a second desk. And if I like just roll my chair over there, it's very easy to kind of get myself away from my desktop um, and kind of all the distractions and uh, and, uh, you know, uh, temptations on the other side of the room. Uh, so I yeah, find so that, that works really for me.
1: interestingly. I don't have a second desk. Uh, Mostly because, like, so I I obviously do kind of, like, high-caliber asset creation, which requires a powerful computer, and I also have a powerful gaming computer or whatever. But the thing that I realized was that I could very, not easily, but I could make my life easier if I segment my desktop, in a way. And so I ended up kind of creating two browser instances. One of them is my work browser. The other one is my kind of, like, play browser right and like the focus on which browser is the main focus is what determines kind of like that workspace headspace uh for me which i found very useful um in the way that like i'm not getting flashes on you know messenger or whatever to like respond to things um (laughs) i'm not getting like you know uh uh I don't know. I don't even know. Really, just those notifications is a big one. That was a huge one for me uh, to sort of like train myself out of, which is like not responding to notifications, just closing those tabs so that I I don't think about it, um, because otherwise I get sucked into you know like sitting there and, and replying in our group chats and like arguing you know whatever bullshit in the middle of like the day. It's like not very effective. No, I will say, I guess uh, I do have Discord open, but that's also just like a work thing, um, like Discord and Twitter uh messenger is very separated from those stuff all the other socials i have i have open for obviously work stuff
0: even even for like my office life i never like had like any of like the the core messenger things open on my work computer i have i have them on my phone which might be a mistake um but by by keeping them on my phone i could be like i could kind of moderate it right like if i put my phone face down and i have notifications for messenger turned off on my phone for like Years now, just because when we start when we started talking about Messenger, there were just too many notifications. I'm like I'm not dealing with this, I turn them off entirely. Yeah. So as long as I don't look at it, I don't see it. Uh, so that works out out for me. But it, it's, it's kind of in in that same vein. Um, do you use separate browsers for that, or do you use? Uh, They're or- both
1: Google Chrome. They're just different okay. instances of Google Chrome. Uh, I do have other browsers on my like PC or whatever. Uh, but to be honest, I just don't really like them. I just like Chrome the best. So having two, like, discrete windows uh, is more or less what what helps me.
0: That's, 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 that's more than fair. I actually do something kind of similar. I have um, – I use – on my work computer, use Firefox for, um, uh, for like, pure code stuff and then, like, Chrome for various essentially other things. Some of this little personal stuff. Sometimes it's also, like – um looking up like industry related stuff for what I'm what I'm doing. And I feel like that separation kind of like keeps me focused on like when I'm coding, the code goes in the Firefox. And when I'm not, like, like maybe I'm like looking at a competitor's product or something that goes in Chrome and I can keep myself very kind of uh split that way.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's uh that's like a really important sort of like detail, I guess. Um keeping track of what is in like what is in what space to make your life like the thing that's nice about doing everything in Google Chrome is we're very Google Drive based, um, in the sense that like most of our stuff is about uploading and downloading from you know like to to and from a Google Drive account, and so just like all the native integration stuff that you get with a with a Chrome account is just like very effective. Or I'm sorry, now with a Chrome account with a Google account, but on Google Chrome. Um, I find it to be, like, very, very effective. I also just generally at this point think Firefox and Chrome are essentially interchangeable, and I just mildly prefer um, Chrome's, uh, like, aesthetic. I feel like Firefox is, like, a little too clunky, which I don't love. Um, so, you know, yeah. that's
0: how. Fi- Firefox has more robust atoms, at least in my experience, which is why I like it. Oh, that but
1: is true. I do agree with that. It definitely, definitely has more robust add-ons.
0: Um. But, uh, but yeah, what else, uh, can we talk about? What with...
1: you, uh, do you ever, I, this is a rule I break a lot, but I, a lot of people have it. Do you ever just like sign off like out of work stuff and you're just out of work stuff for the night? Uh,
0: yeah, because I have a separate work computer. That's very easy for me to do. Like, okay.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. That yeah. would make sense. I mean,
0: I have, I have uh Slack, which is our communication tool on my phone, but that's always the case, right? Like, um, uh, so if like somebody needs to contact me for some sort of emergency not that I'm like nowadays that is less imp- there's there's we, we don't have uh, uh, a product Engineers that, on 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 Yeah, TV we we, we don't have a product like out in the wild right now. Um we're all kind of we're kind of like research experimental at this stage so it's not like I like, it is it is unlikely that I would ever need to do that. But when I was on like a uh, like a, a web services team, right? Like having that was was imperative so that like if something went down I could get a call um, yeah,
1: so that that is something that I I ba- I have basically have Slack open all the time. It's just about which browser do I like lend focus to, and which one do I sort of put in the background. And so it'll definitely happen where like it's nine or ten p.m. and I just happen to check Slack and see a message or whatever, and uh, and then kind of like say, "Well, I'll just do this real quickly," right? You know, like that that happens pretty commonly. Uh, for a while, I used to joke about this with a coworker. For a while, my hours were more like ten to four and then like eleven PM to two AM <laughs> Cause I would kind of like come off uh I would kind of like come off work a little bit earlier, but then go and make up all of the tasks or whatever that I needed to do that day, like super late at night when everybody else had gone to sleep, which was like honestly very bad. Um but uh that it's like it's one of those things where when you break that routine you can like really hose yourself.
0: I think that it's also like less dangerous for something like you do, which is very task oriented, right? Like if you, if you kind of break that and you do a task, there's like a start and end point to that. And like, I you know, I don't know how you, how you do your business, but you can also like, you know, shape that otherwise down the line. If you've got like kind of an endless thing, which is essentially where I'm at right now, right? Like, even though I'm doing individual tasks, like it's like none of them are super time sensitive and there's always more tasks to do. Right. So like, if I didn't, yeah, I like... mean, it
1: definitely hasn't been this way for a long time, but there was a time in the distant past where, like, I would finish a task, and it would be, like, 3 p.m., and be like, oh, would you look at that? That's my day. I'm done. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, now, obviously, we're publishing and releasing three different games over the course of the middle months of uh of 2020 which includes screenshots and store pages and the content calendar and trailers and just like all of these pieces so i haven't it has not been that dry for a long time but uh but yeah when when you are working in that kind of like task-oriented sort of uh uh nature it's a lot easier to sort of like find an end to your day in a weird spot um, there are definitely times when, you know, there was there was one time where Apple asked us for one of our games to make local to make screenshots that we had submitted that had had a little bit of text on them to make those localized for all of the languages that we were submitting them to, which was 17 different languages. But the thing is, when you submit to Apple, you are also submitting to Apple across all of their devices, right? So like TV OS, you're submitting iOS, you're submitting for iPad. And so it was five different resolutions times 17 different screenshots times 18 different screenshots, which was however many, like several hundred, right? Um, And there was just like, no way we were getting that done without bleeding over on time. Uh, and so that was one of those times where like, just like me and one of my coworkers, we were just like, listen, I'm putting fucking five extra hours because I'm just doing this all night. And that's exactly what we did. We were, do- we were just like redoing these screenshots until, you know, 2 a.m. Because uh, like the deadline was 9 a.m. the next morning or whatever else. And the funny thing is they didn't even use those screenshots, those bastards. But um <laughs> I, is, you know like that kind of stuff also happens right there are sometimes when work is slow your tasks end early there's sometimes when you know your tasks are not done and you're going to have to go back to them and work a little bit of overtime in order to get your uh, in order to hit your deadlines
0: right? I, I think you're you're highlighting something else too um which is that like i think it's a little bit easier to get kind of lost in the work life balance stuff if you're not mm. counting your hours right like um, I, I am and have been salaried and so kind of exactly when work starts and ends is kind of like, like, uh, like fun, like, you know, like, uh, malleable, right? Like I know other developers that I have worked with that will over the weekend put in a couple hours to finish them because they just feel like it needs to get done. And, yeah. uh, that's the thing that I try not to do. Um, just cause like, I, I just don't want to, to be honest about it, but I also kind of like have like, you know, like. The, the salary expectations are based on uh, effectively 40 to 60 hour weeks and th- 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 that's a whole other personal philosophical thing. But um, it's easier to kind of like lose track of that when, you know, in theory, you're on – you're kind of always on the clock. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make it – like it, the number of hours you work is, is, is like I said, kind of, kind of malleable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, so I'm good about this on the weekends. On the weekends, I'm very turned off from work. I don't, I just like don't interact with these with these sorts of things. Um, very rarely, I'll have to like post a thing on the weekends, but that's like all of five seconds because I'll, I'll have done all like the prep for it way beforehand. Um, but I'm very bad about it on the weekdays, which is how I find myself in that like doing work at midnight scenario um, because you know, uh, it, when when it's just It's just easy for things to take longer than you think that they're going to take. This is something that I make i I mess up all the time is i'll say like oh that's easy it'll take me like an hour, but really that's like three hours and i'm just like really not i don't have a good sense for how much or how little and uh, and that can like you know put you into put you into uh problems
0: yeah i mean, and to, to talk about the flip side of this right is is also that like if, in the middle of the day, you need to handle something that isn't work-related, at least I have found that it's easier to do. Like, there's no, there's not a lot of cost oh, yeah, when you're working from home. Oh, yeah, It a lot home.
1: with, like, our apartment. Like, if I ever need to run down to the apartment manager and, like, do a thing, it's like, okay, sure, I'll just, like, tack on an extra, like, 15 or 20 minutes or whatever to the end of my day to make up for that. Um, whereas, yeah. you know, doing that in an office is functionally impossible.
0: I mean, it, or if it's possible, you're, like, losing time in commute or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, that was actually yeah, – that's actually one of my better uses of work from home is, like, I need to do something, but, like, that means that, like, I go in the office in the morning and then I go home a little bit early and work from home for the last couple of hours. And those, those times I've, I felt were much more successful because mm-hmm. um, even though I was breaking flow, which was bad, like, I would just, like, throw a couple hours on the end of the day and get s- some smaller thing done. Um, yeah. Uh, what uh, do
1: you do uh, – Do you when you, when you work from home, do you do, like, the whole – gimmick? Do you get up, take a shower, put on slacks and a button-up or whatever it is? Or do you do, you know, pajama pants uh, meetings?
0: So, um, I do, I get up, um, I've actually, um, within the past year, uh, tried to to work out. I have, I have a reclining bike. I feel like that kind of, like, puts a good barrier for me. I shower. Um, and then I don't change into slacks, but I have a separate um, I have a separate kind of, like, daytime versus pajamas. Um, and that doesn't change when I sign off at work. But I feel like that that, that kind of costume change works for me. Um, it's, it's my, like, loungewear, right? Like, it's my, my sweatpants that I wear when I get home from work uh, normally. But mm. it's separate from my pajamas. And I find that to be helpful in kind of, like, uh, defining that transition change. Also, just because, like, I feel like probably, like more hygienic that way than just like sweating the same clothes that I've been live, like you know uh sleeping in um but you know that's a personal thing what, what no, about I you also
1: agree with that I, I essentially have like daytime I do th- I do prioritize comfort so I'm almost always working in pjs of some variety just because they're more comfortable than like jeans or whatever um but I definitely don't like you know sl- get up in my in the shirt I just slept in or whatever um and start working because I think that that's, like, not a great recipe for success.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty sure when, like, when I was out in the Bay that there were people that I worked with that would come into the office in their PJs and work like that. Um, and, you know, that's like – that's like there's a whole, like, grunge hacker aesthetic that I'm not big yeah, on. Yeah.
1: Oh, um, no. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, so – let me. Do, do you have? I guess you've got a unified setup, so you don't have these kind of like multiple. Like I've got like like I, I have uh, a second keyboard that I just happen to have on hand that I use, but I, I've got like an entirely separate setup. Um, that's you. That's that I use basically my office equipment, and I when whenever this ends, I will bring that back to the office, and my um, home office essentially will be significantly diminished. Um, uh, but do you have? Do you have any, like, particular, like, uh, 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 I don't even know, um, do you, do you, do you have a way to, like, keep yourself locked in to, to working when you are working? I find that I, I sometimes have trouble where, like, you know, I'll get up to, like, go to the bathroom, and then, like, getting back into my office chair will take maybe a little bit longer than it should.
1: Uh, you know, I don't, I did have that trouble, I guess, but I kind of don't anymore.
0: Willpower power Um. thing? Training?
1: I think it's just about finding the, you know, I I don't know, just, like, I I think, honestly, for me, it is all all about internal to the desktop of my PC, right? Like, rearranging where my programs are and what I'm focused on is what is useful, you know what I mean? Um, Like, so, for instance, a lot of the time, I will have my work browser and Photoshop or my work browser and Premiere, um kind of like next to each other and at that point like i'm just kind of not ever seeing things like i guess there's the steam and battle.net logo in my you know bar at the bottom of the screen um but there's just like sort of no temptation there because i'm not really doing i'm just kind of on slack and even then like a lot of the times i will i will get so sucked into whatever it is i'm doing on my one screen like editing a gif or something like that that I won't even realize that I have like a slack message for like 10 minutes. Um and so yeah, I I actually don't know how I got to that point. Uh but we we were there. Uh.
0: Yeah, no so I'll actually say that like when um I was I got much better about like basically not gaming during my work day, which I think was like the big killer, right? Cuz that's like a huge mm. swath of time. The thing that like even to some extent, still dogs me. It's like when I take like a short break, it would be like in the office. It's like to read a Reddit post or something, right? Which is relatively short. At home, it's easier to like watch a YouTube video, which can be longer, um, especially if you're watching like a longer piece of video content. Yeah, so yeah. I, th- I, I think that's maybe like a, th- a thing to to cut or whatever. Um, you know what's
1: funny about that is uh, I have that discipline from Square Enix because they were very strict about. I mean, like. It wasn't they – we all were very strict about our, like, breaks and lunch times. Because like I said, right, like, you know, if you're the supervisor on the floor and it says that you're going to be back from your lunch at 12, right, you have to be back from your lunch at 12. You can't, like, let that slide for 10 or 15 minutes um, because, like, something could happen in those 10 you're or right. 15 minutes, and that's, like, that's like a big problem. So I, I learned that kind of timing discipline for my breaks and my lunches uh, – uh, like pretty early, I guess, and I carried that over uh, pretty effortlessly. What will end up happening, though, is that like my what it feels like is my day ends later or sooner than it should or something like that. Like there will sometimes be things that feel like day enders that are not day enders. So for instance, the marketing team of which I'm a part, there's six of us. We have our big marketing meeting every week. We have two of them, but the, the, like the main one is on Friday and it's from three to 4 PM. Right. And it's really easy to get out of that meeting at four. I mean, it almost always goes over. Shout out to shout out to all my work friends. Uh, It'll almost always go over and it'll be, you know, 415, 430, 445 or whatever. But it's so easy to get out of that meeting and be like, well, I'm done. That was my day. Good job. But you know what I mean? But it's like, well, I, you know, there's still stuff to do. There's still stuff to get done. Um, and, you know, I should be working until seven. I should be putting in more hours than that. Uh, and so I think that that's a trap that, that I'll fall into more often than like the my break lasts too long trap. Uh, I will say that there have definitely been times, though, where I have kind of, like, fallen down that rabbit hole. Funnily enough, it's weirdly not with games. I feel like I have a lot of time to play games. And so I – something that I felt a lot at Square Enix was this feeling of, like, uh, the new game was coming out and I wanted to play it so bad, but here I am at work and it sucks. I never get that feeling. Um, Maybe it's just because I'm at my computer. Even if I'm not playing the game, like, I'm probably not playing the game. It just feels because it is like accessible. I don't have that same urge to be like, oh god, I wish I was playing the new Stellaris DLC. It's kind of like you know, like it's fine. I'll get to the Stellaris DLC when my day's over. Um, the but the killer for me has been stuff like Twitch streams or like YouTube videos uh, if they're like are they're they're like time sensitive right uh so for instance hearthstone will do reveal streams that are like two or three hours um where they'll play a couple of games with like new cards and you're seeing all the new cards and i obviously want to be on top of that stuff as much as possible because people on twitter are going to be talking about it reddit's going to be talking about etc um and so what'll happen is i'll put on that stream and all of a sudden right like you know, I'll be like, oh, I'll just have it on in the background, like a podcast while I'm working, but like my productivity just like goes fucking fl- through the floor. Obviously, that's not a very common, appear- you know. Like, there's a new Horizon expansion once every, you know, four months, um, but like that's something I had to train myself out of because something I did at Square Enix all the time was listen to stuff in the background.
0: No, that's 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 absolutely fair. I I, I have a similar thing with like say E3. I try and put it on in. The oh way- yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, same thing.
0: Um, although that's not happening this year. Um, um, so, so when, so you, you mentioned that like initially you had, you had trouble making the, making the transition to the work from home kind of schedule. Did you have any particular tools you used to help you make that transition? Um, or was it just all sheer willpower?
1: I think the big one was getting out of the house and then. And then really orienting my – one of the things that was weird about moving to this job from moving to Square Enix is this job is almost entirely kind of, like, active, whereas Square Enix was all reactive, right? Someone gives you work, theoretically, at a job, like, as a game master because players are saying, hey, I need help. Hey, I need you to do this thing. Hey, I need whatever else. But a lot of my time, you know, like, most of my time uh, is activity built for the future, right? It is me saying, okay – Two weeks from now we're going to do this, I need a gift for it. Two weeks from now we're going to do that, I need to write the copy for it. You know, that kind of a thing. And so uh, something that I have to kind of work up to, and I'm honestly still not very great at it, is that kind of just like working forward in time. I can get caught in this position uh, a lot where I am trying to make my active work seem reactive, right? Where – I'm looking at things as they're about to cross my deadlines and I'm like, Oh, I need to work on this now. I need to work on that now. But that's not, that's not a good way to do this job. You know what I mean? If you want to do this job, you have to be working forward. You need to be banking time in the future. If that makes sense. Right,
0: right, right. Um, Absolutely. I I understand that very well. And so like,
1: that's something that I, that I, that I'm like weak on, but stuff like the timing stuff is the stuff that I'm strong on because of like the kind of like training that I got, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's about sort of like balancing uh, and looking for places where, where I'm not great and looking for places where I'm, I'm getting it done. It took me a long time to figure out a really good way for me to do like a, like a to-do list in a way. Where I'm like kind of methodically going through things. And this will, and it'll drop, you know, like, because there are times when I get overwhelmed. And so some of those sort of like background activities, like something I do is I monitor all the review sites or whatever. Most of these sites are for games that released years ago that are small indie titles on platforms people don't really play in the first place. You know what I mean? So it's like, we do want someone checking the green man gaming forums to see if something from our 2017 game gets reported or whatever. But like most of the time that thing is not getting reported. Um, and the tough thing is that it's easy for that to fall by the wayside because it's so low priority when you're doing stuff like, well, we need this now. We need this now. We need to submit this to Nintendo today. If it's not done, you know, that's, that's a huge problem. Um, and so something that, uh, and so something that I think is important is like making time for that little stuff and figuring out, okay, I'd, I'm just going to have to spend two hours on this stuff that probably doesn't matter that much, but I just can't let it go because if you let it go, it could be like obviously very dangerous for whatever other you know like whatever other kind of reason. Yeah,
0: no, that's that's absolutely fair. I don't um, know if that was like a good answer to your question. I mean, it's. Yeah, I, I mean, think I I think, I think it's, it's 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 I think it's. Part of this, the problem here is that's ultimately a very personal thing. Also, I think it like even in the, like the large strokes varies between jobs, right? Like, yeah, like it, like you know, you have to do that, right? Like my job really doesn't have a an equivalent to that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: no, yeah. I, so one of my things was that that I found incredibly effective uh, is honestly, I, I just said this a couple of weeks ago is I realized that um, I should subscribe for email notifications on all of our games, Steam community pages cuz i was checking those pages manually or whatever um but this is the thing that turned it from being an active thing into a reactive thing right it's a lot easier for me to respond to an email and i respond a lot quicker to that email when then it is for me to say well on friday I'm going to bank, you know, my hour or whatever. I'm going to go through, check all the, the community places or whatever. Because, like, if somebody posts something three days ago, like, it's not the worst thing in the world. Obviously, I'm only one guy or whatever. I have a lot of other stuff on my plate or whatever. But, like, letting that stuff go is bad. Um, and so filtering it to a high-importance location like my email was really huge uh, in getting me to – be on top of, you know, like, be on top of that stuff as it's happening. Because it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't happen very often. Maybe once, twice a month or whatever, like, you'll get something, you'll get a post that you need to respond to or whatever. But I would much rather, like, respond to that kind of, like, you know, there. Um, And sometimes it's just about finding those, like, little things that make it easier for you. Like, oh, man, when I was first starting and doing the blog, so often I would forget to tag like the category, you know how when you go to like a, a WordPress site or whatever, it'll have like categories on the side and you can be like, oh, well, I want to filter by whatever. I would publish these blogs and it would be like a blog on Mutazione or whatever, but I would forget to, pl- to hit the tag and I would get these messages all the time. Like, buddy, you forgot to put the tags, buddy, you forgot to put the tags. And I went through like seven different things to try and force me to remember to click those fucking tags. Right. But the thing that stuck is I created a default template that just read that just has click your tags in it so that at the start of every blog post it says click your tags right so because and it's just like you sometimes just got to find that stuff in order to uh in order to 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 make it work i guess um
0: yeah no and and, you know so but
1: something i do want to talk about is meetings how do you do have you done like video chat meetings what are your video chat meetings like
0: um, so video chat meetings are a thing I've been doing for a long time, even, even like outside of the, the current situation, just because, um, at most of my jobs, there was at least one remote member, um, or it was like across a couple different offices. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, that's always like, that has never been super strange to me. Right. Like it, it's, um, it's, I think a matter of just kind of like dealing with it, if that makes sense. Right. Like I, I, I don't think I've ever had a tr- like my meetings are also relatively short, right? Like I've never been on like a multi-hour, uh, uh, super long meeting for for I think any of my jobs. Most of them like cap out at like an hour and a half at the at the outside. Uh, um, so I, I find it pretty easy to kind of like maintain attention and, and do what I'm doing there. Although I will say that like, um, judicious use of the mute button I think is is key to make sure that like you're not e- bleeding unintentional noise or, or you yeah, know yeah definitely uh, stuff like that. Um, also like checking your camera, uh, checking, checking your camera kind of spread behind you just to make sure that like, you know, you don't have anything too personal in the background, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I Uh, mean, sometimes we'll do cameras on and cameras off sort of thing. I try and do cameras on as much as possible. Um, but (laughs) honestly, it's actually not very useful for me to do cameras on because, uh, I actually concentrate better on meetings. If I am not at my, I have a wireless headset, right? So I can walk all around my apartment. And, uh, and if I'm at my computer, the temptation for me in the middle of something that doesn't concern me, which is common, right? Like it's a big, it's a big team. There's plenty of stuff that, you know, is not, is not a buddy thing that I need to worry about or whatever. it's like, well, I'll just, you know, click on over to Twitter, see what's up or whatever. That temptation is very, is very strong when I'm at my computer. Um, but if I'm just walking around, it's kind of like I'm taking a phone call in a way. Uh, where I can focus a lot better on kind of like what's, what's happening. This is, a, this is a, a, a secret for, for everyone out there. A lot of the times that I'm talking in meetings, I'm pacing around my apartment incessantly. I mean, you remember this from when I was GMing, I guess. Um, cause that's also, that was the, uh, another like sort of similar thing. Right. Uh, to kind of get away from my computer, so that I could like focus on the conversation.
0: I think part of that is just like good meeting design. Um, and the the company I'm at right now, uh, our our division is relatively small, so uh, you know it's not like we've got a ton of people. Uh, and there's not like a ton of experience kind content. Of, but like um, my first team, very early on, we had like basically like one meeting for like all like all kind of like the engineering base on this one product. And it was really just two separate teams that needed to be separated into separate meetings. Cause like you could tell like the devs would bring their laptops, myself included into the meeting. And then like when it wasn't their ter- team's turn, they'd just like be working on their laptop in the middle of the meeting, which is not great for, for uh, kind of cohesion, but like good meeting design, like, like minimizes the number, the, 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 the amount of stuff that you're not like that you don't need to be there for essentially. Right. Like,
1: yeah, I guess I do agree with that. Um, we haven't had a, one. One of those things is that we've gotten better about our meetings over time. Um, like there, last year when we were doing meetings, especially meetings with like clients, there was a lot of stuff that was going on, and uh, and it's just there was a lot of it that didn't really apply to me or whatever. But like as the team has kind of co co congealed into more of a into more of a unit, I guess I don't know. I, I, when I first started this job. Part of it is just like a corporate, not like small business sort of thing. When I first started this job, I was coming from a big corporate machine where it was not my concern what you know what like I had my job and my duties were my duties and I was not supposed to do anything else or whatever. Whereas like when you're you know, it's a six person
0: You're wearing a lot of different hats.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean? And it's and it's very useful to have somebody like me to ask questions, even biz dev, like I'm not a biz dev guy or whatever, but we still talk about biz dev decisions in those meetings because like, it's part of the, it's part of the, you know, uh, it's part of the business and we're all kind of like wearing different hats. That's something I'm not, I'm not super great at, but I feel like, i've been getting better at over time a lot of the times it just became uh a willingness to sort of ask dumb questions i used to be very self-conscious about asking really stupid questions because i was like oh god all these guys are gonna think i'm a fucking idiot but like as you know as i've gotten more and more uh kind of like acclimated to the team it's become a lot easier for me to like button and just be like hey listen um what
0: yeah i i I find that that's much easier to do also if like it's like Outside of your normal wheelhouse, like when you're not expected to know it, right? Like, yeah, you know, I find it much harder to ask programming questions than it is to be like, you you used a military acronym there. I don't know what that means. Could you could you please tell me what what, what that means? Yeah. Um,
1: I also find myself asking a lot of like sanity check questions, and I think this is the important part of it, right? You know, like we'll be talking about our plans for whatever, um, and a lot of the times I'll be we'll be down in the weeds, and it's kind of like, hey, listen. Um, when we first started this, the the question on the table was black. What was our answer to that, right? And like those kinds of things, I find to be like very helpful for keeping, for like keeping me up to pace, I guess, or whatever on everything else that's going on. Um, yeah, though our meetings do go off commonly. Uh, on tangents, I think part of it is because we, you know, like it's it's marketing. We're all pretty creative or whatever, so there's a lot of like, oh this, oh that, oh well, what do you think about you know? And we'll get off on these on these sorts of uh, uh, tangents that bother our producer to to no end. I'm so sorry, Lisa. Um, but uh, but like keeping things kind of like regimented and clear, um, is you know is like an important piece of that. Like something that we do is we have a special channel in our Slack where we just you know sit and, um, regimen out what it is, like, what is on the agenda, right? And that'll start, like, today, we have stuff on the meeting agenda for Wednesday, right? Um, and the, you know, like, and that can come from anybody or whatever. And my thing almost always with these, with those, is I want to be clear and direct, right? Here's the question, here's the thing that I'm bringing, why are we talking about, you know, like, uh... I, I always want my agenda items to be quick and direct and snappy um, when yeah. I'm bringing something to the table.
0: I, I think that's an important, important tip we can give here too, right? Like if you're in a position to kind of shape these meetings in any way, um, putting effort into trimming the fat, right. And like trimming maybe unnecessary people from different mm-hmm. meetings, right? Like the PM for that I work with doesn't need to be in our code discussions, right? Like, um, and, uh, you know and also like you know a uh, I don't need to be in the discussion about say uh, uh, like the the, the um, how do I put this? like the, the the like the physical electronics that we work with right like I don't I don't yeah. do that work um, or maybe at kind of like a high vision level I need some of that stuff um, or like the like the junior guys um, don't need to interact with the clients in any way I occasionally do but that's that's like you know infrequent and then like you know uh my boss does like all of those meetings right like so so making sure that like you're you're keeping your meetings to essential personnel only i think is goes a long way in like keeping people um keeping people on task and not like pulling too much too much time away from anybody yeah. um, if you're in a position to to kind of like do you make do you like changes.
1: talk do you like present in meetings often or are you like presented to
0: um more I don't think it's a work
1: from home question. I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> more more often I am uh well the it, it, like internal stuff I'm doing more presenting. External stuff I'm more being presented to and or like being there to like answer questions that the person who is presenting doesn't have like the technical uh, uh aptitude to to answer, right? Like if somebody asks a, a very technical question of the PM, he's like I, I I don't know, Mike, what's, what's the, uh, what's the answer to this, that, that, but like mostly it's, uh, uh, mostly, mostly with external clients, it's, it's, it's being presented to, or just being around to ask questions, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. just like
1: as the expert on whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Or like interfacing with an like another company's expert on their product. Right. Like I find that, um, uh, all of the meetings I've had kind of like that that like our uh cross company have been very kind of utilitarian i and whether that 's a function of uh programmers or um, in some cases like in in my current position, I think that the military tends to be that way too um, there 's not a lot of fluff there 's not a lot of like you know uh, people trying to like pitch things. Um, uh, or, like, you know, trying to, to, to deal with something. Because, when I don't have the power to make some of these decisions. And, two, like, the, like, more often than not, I'm interfacing with people who are also technical people. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to deal with any of this bullshit either. Let's just get this done, right, type of stuff. Um, which I enjoy, but, you know. What about you?
1: Uh, you know, I am... I don't try. I try and talk as little as possible because I want the meetings to be quick. But I also want to be like clear about things, Um, and so I end up asking a lot of questions, I guess, uh, which makes me feel like maybe I—I don't know. It's, for instance, one of the guys in our meeting, my friend Chris, doesn't talk a lot, right? And it's from that same perspective, right? Like he wants to. Get through the meeting as quickly as possible, and so, you know, the time it takes him to express something is a is a precious commodity, and it shouldn't be you know kind of like dealt with trifling, um, uh, and so. I kind of have that philosophy. But I also do want to, like, be clear about certain things. Um, And we'll be, like, asking questions or talking about things. And so a lot of the times I want to be just like, hey, listen, how does this affect our other titles? How are we going to do blah, blah, blah? Can you just, like, lay out the timeline really quickly? Those sorts of things. And then obviously, you know, I'm presenting... I I have a... I probably have the least amount of stuff going up on the agenda. One of the things about, like, social is that, like... I'm not dealing with super far-out stuff all that often. Um, I'm basically creating a lot of immediate content uh, quickly, right? Like, it is It is my job to fill out all of the content that's coming out next week, which is just, like, a lot of stuff, whereas it's not my job to, like, manage a trailer, right? Like, the trailer production is a, mo- is a more long-term thing, um, and that's going to happen over a course of weeks, and it's going to be kind of, like, managed by another team. So... Uh, but I do, like, find myself in positions where, like, you know, something that um, – try, I'm trying to think of a good example. Oh, okay, so we, we talk about, like, the asset pipeline a lot, which is, like, how is stuff getting created to be put up and to be, like, put out? I'm kind of my own asset pipeline. Like, most of the stuff that goes up on social comes from me, right? Like, I create the gifts. I do whatever. You know, I'll export what what needs to be exported, and I'll put all that stuff up. Um, but like, there's a lot more back and forth with some of the, like the other folks on the marketing team. And so something that'll happen is we'll do this asset pipeline where we will submit something. I mean, entire marketing team will talk about it and that can like bog us down because people are giving notes on things. You want to address those notes. And then that makes it, you know, we're going to do another pass at this trailer or whatever else. Um, and so like something that I was thinking about, because we have already implemented it for some of my stuff is just like, let's just do two people, right? There's one person who writes the initial doc. Then there's one person who does the major notes, the major edits, and then it goes out to the rest of the team. And if they have something super pressing, right? If they notice a detail that the two of us missed or whatever, that's great. But otherwise, we're going to keep kind of our hands off of this stuff and just like, let it get through the pipeline rather than say, go back and do this again, go back and do this again. Kind of a, kind of a thing. Um, like, I think that's like a really useful thing. And so that's the kind of thing that I'll like bring up in a meeting. Like what I, am working with video this week. So one of my meeting topics is about how we structure, you know, interaction between ourselves and our video editors. Cause we have a bunch of different ones. We pass between video editors. We'll do somebody will do trailer pass one. I'll do trailer pass two, you know, like whatever else, um and uh and like discreetly defining a flow of how we capture footage edit footage what the export settings are all this other kind of stuff is like is a really important piece of that puzzle and so uh that tends to just be like more important than you know well on tuesday we're tweeting a fucking meme about whatever (laughs) like (laughs) that's not really meeting worthy (laughs)
0: uh f- f- fair enough I guess um, uh, yeah i I don't know really know where to go from there I think we've yeah fair enough. Uh, we've yeah. we've
1: exhausted we've exhausted this topic i guess yeah
0: we we've exhausted at least our our knowledge on on it. If, if you guys at home have any tips for working from home feel free to send them in um you know especially for like people in in different industries than we are right like it's like for for me at least like programming like like, you know once they get past like the personal like actually doing work stuff like where i am physically located doesn't make a meaningful difference to my actual work right um and so like i I imagine that there are people that have like more struggles with that right like people who are working with like maybe specialized hardware or whatnot um also people that have like different schedules right like that that have like things that have like a m- little bit more time sensitivity to them and then a little bit more just in time than, than either of our jobs are. So you guys at home, like, like, can you imagine trying to do your job like your old job from home? I feel like that would be a lot, a lot tougher.
1: That would be a lot. Well, I mean, it would be a lot tougher because part of my job was about, I was, I, I like led the floor or whatever. So right. part of my job was about just like talking to other people and just being like, Hey, listen, do this, do that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, another resource I do want to plug, uh, the producer that I, that I credited earlier, Alyssa Colgard, for our company, uh, she wrote a really great in-depth article. There's honestly like the basis for like half of the things I said in here. Um, it's called Expert Advice, A Guide to Working Remotely. Uh, You can find it at akuparagames.com slash blog, on Sutra blogs, and on medium.com slash akuparagames.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll put one of those links in the description. Uh, uh, And uh, so yeah, check out out the description then. Um, But since we're kind of at the end of this topic, um, why don't you tell me about your week? Um, okay. two weeks, as it were, since uh, last week was uh, from an alternate dimension, let's say. So
1: a big thing is I've been watching Breaking Bad. But we're not going to talk about that because we're going to do an episode on Breaking Bad. Yes. Uh, though I have thoughts. I've been tweeting out a little bit of my thoughts on Breaking Bad. Uh, because Because I basically did a full rewatch of Better Call Saul going into Season 5, which debuted a couple of weeks ago. And then I've been watching like Season 5 or whatever. And so watching... Breaking Bad in such close proximity to Better Call Saul is just really nuts. It's just, like, really crazy um, because you see, see some things in, like, really stark uh, relief, which is kind of nice. Um, have you started Better Call Saul? Are you still in Breaking Bad?
0: I have finished Breaking Bad. Okay. Um, I have not watched any Better Call Saul or any, or I, I, I haven't watched El Camino either, but I'm hoping to. Yeah, I also
1: don't. I, you should maybe watch El Camino now because it really has nothing to do with Better Call Saul. El okay, I,
0: I was, I was thinking maybe I'd try and watch the, uh, the, the seasons of Better Call Saul that came out before El Camino, just because I assumed that there'd be at least like an Easter egg or something.
1: Yeah, there are Easter eggs, so if you want to catch that stuff. You would catch that stuff, I guess. Uh, but like the main story of it, I mean, obviously, El Camino takes place at, after the finale of Breaking Bad, whereas Better Call Saul is a it's a prequel, like a pretty deep prequel, actually. Um, and so, uh, though now it's getting closer and closer. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that would be my recommendation. I'm very excited for you to start Better Call Saul.
0: Yeah, I I, I am too. I just I got I got caught. By this Tiger King wave, I've watched yeah, about half Yeah, so I've of that. also
1: seen the Tiger King wave. I don't know if I want to watch it. It sounds really awful, to be honest.
0: It's pretty good. It's pretty good uh, just because it's like, it's like, it's 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 like train wreck. Don't want to stare, but you can't look away type of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's I think it's like it's entertaining, right? Like it's definitely the type of thing like designed to like get people talking about it right like everybody now has an opinion on joe exotic and carol baskin um and uh, i haven't watched all of it but like you know the the thing the thing that like always kind of like worries me about these kinds of things is that the creator obviously has a perspective that they push and that ends up kind of dominating the narrative right like Uh um the thing that that I reminded most of is uh, I believe it's called like making of a murderer to make a murderer um which I never watched but I had heard i have I, I had heard about um and I have also heard that the way that they presented it left out a lot of things like uh it's it's uh about a guy who was accused of murder somewhat dubiously um and like some shady stuff that the police did but I have heard that the documentary left out a lot of the things that paint the potential killer in a much worse light um and you know we could get into a philosophical discussion yeah I've about watched, like,
1: i watched like the first couple of seasons of making a murderer I, it, in fact i was really bad about this stuff for a long time like i tried to get into serial i tried to get into making a murderer i tried to get into like the jinx or whatever um and i just always had a very hard time with it something about it being real people always kind of like bothered me in like some obscene kind of sense like it's okay like walter white is a despicable human being right he's a terrible guy um just evil right but like there's some comfort in the fact that he's fictional right and there's some comfort in like the rules of the world around him working in such a way that like you know uh some there's some i don't know it's hard to describe this there's some some sense of poetry to it in a way where it's kind of like it's dangerous but not real whereas like when i when i sometimes like watch these these other shows i'm just like oh god it feels so weird these are these are real people you know um and like the crimes even if like they're more minor just like feel that much more impactful i would also recommend there's a video by sarah zed on youtube which is just sarah z but she's canadian so she calls herself sarah Z um on youtube uh called the ethics of true crime which is all about this right where she talks about how like we consume true crime as if it is the latest episode of breaking bad where it has cliffhangers and reversals and plot twists and stuff um but it's not it is real people's lives right um and uh, and if you remember a couple of months ago i ended up watching american vandal which is a spoof on you know, on true crime, it's a parody of true crime on Netflix that is fucking hilarious, by the way. And that is weirdly the thing that let me get into it is watching American Vandal, um, where I kind of like uh, the Like at the end of the day, the kind of punchline to American Vandal are the filmmakers themselves um, and the sorts of things that they do that are bad, I guess. Um, and so. I don't know. That just like helped me. And I ended up watching like the jinx or whatever else. Um, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll get into true crime. Also fire festival. This is also the same time is watching that fire festival documentary. It's funny because like the fire festival guys are like dipshits, obviously, but they just feel so much more contemptible than like other people in true crime, true crime stuff. Um, I don't know that Yeah, just, well b- yeah. because
0: like other other true crime I think a lot of it is that like there is a thing that happens that causes you to do something really heinous, right? Like um at least in, in most cases, right? Like you can explore like the motivations behind a murder and see like even if you you view it as like like monstrous as like at least you understand kind of the motivations there. The fire festival stuff is just a bunch of people being dipshits, right? Like, there's like, um, yeah, and it
1: basically starts from the premise that these people are dipshit assholes. Yeah, do you know what I and mean? L- <laughs> like,
0: and also at, at at the at at the end of the day, like, well, people that while well, there was like some suffering induced by the fire festival, it wasn't like like the the maximum amount of that suffering was. Relatively low, low key, and it's also like super abstractable, right? Like, um, uh, for me, actually, it came in the opposite way. Like, the first one of these I watched was Dear Zachary, which is probably like the worst one of these, um, in terms of like, oh, consequences. yeah, you told me about this one, Jesus yeah.
1: Christ, yeah, holy uh, shit, yeah, that one is rough,
0: um, and it's so rough, but it like makes everything else kind of much more digestible by comparison, right? Like, um, and you know, I have not done any follow up on that, I don't know if that. Movie was, or if if that documentary, like how how based in reality that documentary was, re- like obviously the filmmaker had a uh, um had like a perspective that he ended up needing to to, or that he ended up pushing. But it's also like so personalized that even if it was like fake, it's not like it. it the things that happened in that in that documentary don't so much indict the. Um, indict, like, kind of the, the system in a way that some of these other ones do. I think also a big part of this, too, is that, like, Dear Zachary, while being relatively famous, is still relatively niche. Um, and so, like, you have things that happen out of these where, like, you know, uh, people, like, you know, there are movements about freeing Joe Exotic now and, like, you know, finding what really happened to Carol Baskin's husband to kind of give away, like, you know, two of the, like, early-level... early, early level, uh uh, things that we know about or that, that happened in, in, in Tiger King, right? Whereas, like, there's not nearly as much momentum to, to, to deal with the things that happened in Dear Zachary because, um, like, there's basically one, only one action point I could think of in my head, um, which is kind of like maybe like the disbarment of a particular judge, um, but like, there was no movement for that because there, it wasn't as popular. There, there, there's real. Like um, there's real potential for disruption, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative way, with these very popular kind of shows. Um, uh, uh, although I do think we could get into a whole argument about kind of like the ethics behind Tiger King in terms of like the actual business that the people are engaged in. I've I've got I've got you a whole know, bunch. Honestly, of thoughts there. we
1: should probably just end up doing a Tiger King episode. Yeah. I am now intrigued enough that I will probably end up watching Tiger King. It's also um, relatively no,
0: short, which is nice. It's Seven yeah, episodes. Yeah, that's
1: true. Yeah, that's true. Though I guess we also have. Uh, well, it'll take you a while to watch through Better Call Saul because there's however many seasons, however many episodes. Um. Anyway, uh, fuck. What else did I? What else did I do? I've just been like really chewing through, uh, like Breaking Bad because I, I actually I wanted to get it done for today's episode. I'm on season five, but I just like kind of couldn't couldn't get the last piece of it through. Uh, I have played a full run not a not a super full run but I am deep in the late game and I could basically take over the universe at any time I wanted in Stellaris um have we talked about the new solaris expansion federations i can't remember
0: i don't think so why don't you go over it
1: okay so the new star the the new solaris expansion solaris has a couple of different kinds of things it has what are called story packs which are sort of like low level things that do stuff uh so for instance utopia brought mega structures which is a late game thing that you can build like a dyson sphere a dyson sphere being a giant you know ball of solar panels that absorbs all of the energy that comes out of a star um or you know you can build like a giant sentry array you can build you know this or that uh like ring worlds uh that have just like huge huge districts that house hundreds and hundreds of pops or whatever um and um so it has those story packs it has like species packs which are like lithoids like hive minds um, and then it has expansion packs. Expansion packs almost always bring, like, different kinds of ways to, like, play the game. Uh, so, like, Megacorps was a, was an expansion pack. Megacorp build buildings on other people's, uh, uh, territory. So, like, you'll go to somebody else and you'll be like, hey, can I build a building on your thing? And you both get a benefit of it, kind of in, like, the, the true capitalist spirit, I guess. Um... And Federations brings sort of two interactions. The first one is the foundation of Federations, uh, which are, you know, if you and I decide that we want to kind of like go it together, we can create an alliance. And there are a couple of different types of them. There's like a research, you know, pact. There's a commercial pact. Um, stuff that will give you more money or whatever. And then over time you will like level up your federation. So your federation becomes kind of like more, uh, more and more powerful. Um, and unlocks like more and more stuff that you can do. And the idea is to kind of mimic a little bit like, uh, uh, the, the Starfleet federation from like Star Trek. Right. Um, so the... Uh, so those, are, so like those are the federations. The new way you can play is you can just start right off the bat in a federation with two other sieves, essentially, um, which is like pretty powerful or whatever. Uh, The other thing that they added was a Galactic Senate, right, which is when a certain number, you know, when most of the galaxy has been discovered, basically everybody joins the Galactic Senate. And based on your pops, based on your economy, based on your military, you have a certain amount of, like, diplomatic power, and you can propose resolutions, and you can earn favors from people, and you can call in those favors to turn their vote to, you know, your side or whatever else, Um and uh and with the galactic community you can like set laws a lot of the laws will change small things and diplom and like a lot of diplomatic weight and small other things like all pops use five less housing or whatever but your diplomatic weight from military is like reduced by 20 percent. so if like you're a really militaristic empire it's like oh fuck this really hoses me and you have to oppose it you have to try and like coordinate with other people to oppose it and then you know like that kind of a thing um, oh and then they also added one more thing which is called origins. Origins are kind of specific story things that have like a gameplay mechanic de- depending on like how you start your world right So in my most recent run I was playing a genetic hive mind so I wasn't playing like machine intelligence I was playing a um, uh, I was playing a true hive mind um, of like bugs or whatever and I had the origin of uh, a shattered ring so, Somewhere in the distant, distant past, there was like a ring world, right? And I, my first planet was one of like the shattered things on that ring world. So you basically start with one section of a ring world. And then when you get into mega structures, you can get into like those later sections of the ring world. Um, and that like granted me a certain amount of sort of like power and prestige. And I could do different things because I had like the ring world. But there's a ton of different origins. Some of them do, you know, uh, uh, the, the, some of the some of them do the federations like different kinds you can have a hegemony, or a hegemony uh, federation where you rule over two smaller civilizations in a federation together um, you can do a cooperative partnership federation you can do weird stuff like you can do one where your planet is going to blow up and so you have like 65 years or whatever to like build an empire and then your very first planet dies <laughs> um, you, um, you can do different kinds of origins based on different kinds of, uh, like governments or whatever. So for instance, um, if you're a lithoid species or whatever, you can put your gestation on meteors and, and you throw those meteors across the galaxy, and they crash into planets, and then you, like, inhabit those planets um, with, like, a bunch of rock people that pop out of the meteor. Because um, lith- lithoids are rock people. And so just, like, stuff like that. Um, I have found it tremendously engaging, tremendously fun. Uh, they They... I don't know, they've just, like, brought a a new kind of cool dimension. One of the big changes, honestly, that was a very small piece of it was the ability to have what's called a Juggernaut, which is just, like, the biggest type of ship that is a mobile war base, kind of like a Death Star. Um, And it can, like, repair your guys in the field. Something that used to really kill my runs was going deep with a fleet, and it's, like, picking up damage and picking up damage and picking up damage, and you just, like, you can't repair it. It takes forever because you have to, like, bring it all the way back and then send it back out, you know, like... That's just this kind of, kind of like untenable in like offensive campaigns. So the ability to have the juggernaut, which will allow you to, you know, really expand your borders um, or really expand in, in kind of like conquest situations late in the game is pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, so so just the the to highlight the list thing up until this point, if if I recall correctly, your your choice of like your aesthetic choice of what your race looks like didn't really matter. Uh, right? Is, did they, have they changed that for all of them? Or, uh, like, because, like, the, the bug people versus the plant people versus kind of the humanoids didn't, uh, didn't have any difference except for, like, kind of what the graphics were. Uh, everything well, so based-
1: there are uh, – there's a couple of different effective species now at this point. Um, there's humanoids, which are just, like, the default, right, and they kind of do everything. Then you have machine intelligence who consume credits instead of consuming food right so food is sort of a dead resource for them then you have um and machine intelligence i don't actually think are necessarily hive mind but then you also have hive mind and hive mind are all one organism obviously right so there are no consumer goods which is like another thing that you'll need for like a humanoid you need to be producing consumer goods to turn into stuff um and then there are lithoids who eat minerals not food um, so with any of the more specific ones, you can kind of like pare down. It's like, okay, I'll do a hive mine run. And so I'll be caring a lot about food, minerals, you know, credits, but I won't be caring at all about, uh, consumer goods. Right. Um, which is nice. Cause it lets me like throw all of my planet slots into, you know, alloys, whatever it is. Um, but you also don't get the benefit of trade in that situation. Trade generates a lot of resources, that kind of stuff. Um, so at this point, there are a couple of different races that have a couple of different, like, quirks to them uh, of sort of, like, varying varieties.
0: Right. But, like, the avians versus the fungi, they're all, like, classed into that humanoid uh, kind yeah. of...
1: There's, okay. no, there's no difference between avians and fungi, I think.
0: Cool. Uh, well, on my end, the big thing I've been doing that I can talk about since I watched you all Breaking Bad is, uh, is I played a bunch of Warzone over the weekend... Um, which is Ooh, the? Tell
1: me all about it. I have been seeing you guys talk about Warzone, and I have yet to actually like go deep, but I want to know.
0: So, um, it is it is a battle royale as you do nowadays. Um, it is free, unlike the rest of uh, uh, the the that called the Call of Duty that's attached to, um, and uh, it does a couple of cool things that really separate it from the other battle royales in the genre. Um, it is not as as say Apex doesn't have like the building aspect that Fortnite does. Um, and it's not quite as slow as PUBG is. But um, uh, one of the big differences is that um, there's no real attachments in the game. But you can get guns that like have attachments already on them. But the big thing is is uh, there's kind of this big element around um, getting cash. And cash lets you do a bunch of different things. Um, probably the most interesting of which is uh you can use it to buy a loadout drop which lets you use one of your kind of predefined loadouts from the core multiplayer experience which is really cool because there are there are some weapon combinations you just can't get in uh in the core warzone game um now getting your loadouts leveled up is a little bit harder with just warzone since you're basically limited to whatever you you can find on the map um uh but um like, this weekend, the multiplayer was free for a weekend, so I played a bunch to get my stuff leveled up. And, you know, there's there's some problems with that. Like, the, I think from, like, a business model perspective, it's, it's a cool way to encourage people to get the game. But, like, it's it, it makes it kind of harder to, to to really be competitive in Warzone without doing it. Although there's Blood Money, which I haven't played, which I think helps ameliorate that. Anyway, um, uh, the kind of way – main way you gain money besides picking it up off the ground – is uh, through these things called contracts, and there are three types of contracts. There are scavenger contracts, there are recon contracts, and there are um, uh, kill contracts. Uh, the recon contracts will tell you where the next where the the next circle is going to be. Um, these scavenger contracts just like lead you around through uh, to get you some loot, and uh, they all almost always give a gas mask, which um, a gas mask helps you survive out in the kind of the the, the, the damage zone, which is very very. Very, very intense in this game. And then the kill contracts basically give you a mission to hunt down uh, another team. Um, and also, if they can survive, they get a reward for surviving it. Um, which is... Uh, it's, it, it basically introduces a lot of dynamism into the game. Because um, you're kind of constantly doing this. So you can get more money. So you can do things like buy uh, kill streaks. You can buy, like I said, the aforementioned loadouts. You can buy armor plates, which is basically your healing. You have health. That refills like Call of Duty health does, like you know, after a short delay it refills. But your uh, um, your main kind of source of protection is armor, and that can only be refilled by armor plates. So there's a bunch of stuff going into like finding armor plates. Um, uh, but one of the kind of the other big differences is uh, when you die the fir- for the first time, you get thrown into this thing called the Gulag, and in the Gulag you duel against one other person. If you win that duel, you get redeployed out onto the map but without everything again, you, you are, everybody starts with a pistol. So it's not like totally bare bones like you, like the most of the other uh, battle Royales. Um, but basically what this means is, is that, um, first of all, it's, it's bigger, right? It's a hundred, it's 50 teams of three. So it's 150 people total. So over the course of the game, 75 of those people will cycle back into the game to, and have to be killed a second time. Yeah. Um, uh, which is kind of nuts. Um, and uh, the other part of this, too, is is uh, like Apex, you can respawn people, but that costs money, right? It costs $4,500 a person. So even if you lose, you can be brought back into the game. Is that um, a lot of
1: money? That must be, right?
0: Uh, it's a fair amount. It's not like a huge amount, but it's okay. not like a tiny amount either, right? Like You definitely have to put some effort into it. Um, and that really drives kind of like the, the, the core loop. And, uh, How often basically- do
1: you win in your gulags?
0: Um, I am not particularly good at that. So I'd say I'd win like maybe like a fifth to a third of times. Monik, who I play with primarily, wins most of his Gulag matches. Um, I just don't have like a good sense for like playing against the other person in that way. Um, but uh, 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 yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because like you even get to do the Gulag if you wipe. So like your whole team can come back, right? Like even if like I've had games where like our team gets wiped um only like one of us makes it through the gulag and then they collect enough cash to spawn the other two people and we're back in the game right um and it's much harder to move forward from there cuz you're kind of like out of stuff and like there's not as much stuff on the map i feel um uh but it's definitely a really interesting kind of version of the game also the gunplay is pretty good right like pubg was always pretty janky um and call of duty while not being like the slickest is is pretty alright um so yeah it's it's uh definitely uh definitely compelling um one of my favorite um one of my favorite of these uh games that was far, and i think part of that too is that like because it's based on the call of duty kind of frame um there's just like such a large variety of weapons um with attachments that like you like you know you don't see as much in other games um just because like they're they're basically building up their own from scratch but this is kind of like stapling on a battle royale version on top of the uh um on top of the core game. And I think that the way they, the, the kind of the loadout system is very smart because like you don't have to worry, you just have to basically balance the the weapons, on like the, the kind of pre-builds that go on the map rather than balancing kind of every kind of permutation. Um, and if the loadouts are a little bit, uh, overpowered, that's fine because that's kind of like the core, like that's like a core objective to drive towards, right? It's something that's accessible to everybody. It's not super, it's not nearly as luck based as, uh, as in, like, you know, in, um, in, like, say, PUBG, right? Like, a lot of the game revolved around how lucky you were with your initial drops and, like, how, uh, and, like, you know, maybe you run into a crate luckily and, and get, like, some of the super rare stuff. Whereas in, um, in, uh, in 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 war zone, since you since you're basically kind of driving towards getting one of these crates, um, at that point everybody's at least kind of like moderately well geared out, right? Like you, you and, and everybody kind of has access to at least like that first level of stuff. So I I, I think it's very compelling. I think it's super unique. Um, I found it to be a lot. Like I, I feel like like I like a, it forces a like the kind of the style forces aggression more. Like it's it's less kind of like 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 hiding and waiting um, that you get in PUBG. Um, um, even less, like, I, you know, I, I feel like we get more, in, like, average encounters per game than, like, even in Apex sometimes if we were playing super super conservative in Apex. So, um, it gets a thumbs up from me.
1: Fair enough. I guess I'm going to have to try it out a little bit. Because um, that all sounds good. I'm trying to think. I liked Apex a lot, but I ended up not, like, we, did, we didn't play it for very long. I just feel like maybe... These these battle royales like aren't super my thing, which is fair enough. Um, but I like a lot of what is being described here. Like I, I especially like kill contracts as a way to sort of like force players to like <coughs> interact in a more complex strategic sense. Right? Like when the overall strategy of every PUBG game is just like try and get inside the circle, camp out, kill guys when you see them, sort of thing. Um like that's not super engaging in a way, but like I think that there's a lot that you can do uh with like a just like adding a kill contract, now all of a sudden you have it's like okay, well, are we going to go for are we going to go for this? It's sort of like a crate I guess a little bit dropping. Um where Yeah, it but like where it is like guaranteed, you know, like guaranteed fucking danger. Um
0: Yeah. And and the other part of this too is that even if you never pick one up, you could be the target of one. Yeah. So it can, get, yeah. it can get forced upon you effectively.
1: I don't know. That uh, seems very cool to me. I like that detail a lot. Uh, the gulag lot thing, I imagine I would also be just like fucking garbage at the gulag.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. Um, it is it is it is still neat. And also this is like neat thing. Is like if your team all kind of dies together, you usually spawn in the same gulag and you can like call out where the other person is for the person on the floor. That's like a, a fun little meta, meta element. Also, if you're like – so the gulags happen pairs at a time. And so while you're waiting for your turn, you're standing in the uh, the upper decks. Um, and I find that, like, maybe, like, 60% of the time they get thrown straight into a match. But, like, sometimes you're waiting for a little while. But you get, like, stones. You could throw stones at the people fighting each other. Oh and if you God. hit them, it does, like, a little bit of damage and, like, distracts them. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: pretty funny (laughs) yeah
0: no it's it's uh it's pretty i I think i think it brings kind of a lot of the like complexity that modern that like the call of duty games have i mean it kind of actually elevates it too because uh i find that the modern warfare multiplayer while i do have like some dumb fun playing it i feel like it um it kind of like gets caught with kind of like certain certain loadouts are like optimal for kind of like the very close quarters um very kind of running on gameplay of a typical say modern warfare death match match um whereas over kind of on this like bigger map i think it's got it gives uh it gives it more room to breathe um so yeah i uh i give i give warzone two thumbs up
1: uh just to ask a question what was the last time that you did magic the gathering stuff
0: uh very beginning uh or midway through midway through uh the fairy tale one yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah I did yeah. not play oh, gotcha. Theros. Of okay. Cool, cool. Yeah. Eldraine I have not played Theros, and yeah. I have been looking kind of askew at uh, at the Ikoria I think. Is yeah. What it I've is. been
1: seeing a lot of these Icoria I- uh, like release like details. I was actually very excited for Ikoria but I now find myself a little like what because uh, I don't like mutate, um, and I don't like companion very much.
0: What is uh, companion?
1: So Companion is a, and, and, um, and funnily enough, Companion for a- is essentially a Hearthstone mechanic. Um, if your deck is constructed in a certain way, you essentially can have your Companion in the command zone, and it counts as being in your hand, and the first time you cast it that game, you can just, like, cast it for free, essentially. Um, it's very contagious, or not contagious, it's very um, uh, contentious. Uh, people are very mad about Companion. But Companion works a lot like. So, for instance, in Hearthstone, you know, like Highlander decks are big right now. Uh, being able to play Zephyrus, which we've talked about a bunch of times. Dragon Queen Alexstraza uh, has an effect. She's a 9 mana, 8 8. And if you have no duplicates in your deck, Dragon Queen Alexstraza will put two zero mana dragons in your hand. Like, two dragons that cost zero, uh, which is obviously, like, huge. You, like, fucking slam Deathwing for zero mana. Whatever. Um. That has also, like, like the odds and evens where you got the upgraded hero power, uh, depending if you had only odd cost cards in your deck, only even cost cards in your deck. Companion is stuff like, if you have a singleton deck, you can play this card, you know, like, from the command zone. Um, It's not technically the command zone, but I think of it as the command zone because obviously I play so much commander. Or, like, whatever other sort of, like, weird deck building requirement that you need. Um, and so, yeah, that's weird. That's crazy. Uh, and then Mutate is where you, like, put a card on top of another card, and it gets, like, the card. uh, it gets, like, the other card's effect or whatever. Um.
0: Yeah, it's got the, uh, the t- upper card's, uh, uh, stats, yeah. and then both cards' sets of abilities. Yeah, yeah. Which,
1: so... That's how that's how Mutate works. Um, I like it in a certain sense. Something that I've always enjoyed are kind of Voltron. We call these Voltron strategies in Commander, um, where you just load up a, a creature with, like, a ton of shit and just, like, smack. Um, and so, like, I like it in a sort of, like, Voltron sense, but I just find it to be... uh, It seems confusing and bad. Um, mostly this because... Seem, sorry?
0: This seem, uh, I was going to say, this seems like... They took like a like one of the unmechanics. I forget which one it was, and, and like tried to like make it black border.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. So this uh, uh, this companion mechanic feels like it's weird for them to be putting in a in in, in a
1: paper magic, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It seems like like I guess like you know there's enough of this where you can be like. You know, like you're like you can't really cheat with it, right? Because if you do, somebody will just be like, you, you you cheated, right? Like you put the wrong, like you know, you, you violated the the constraints of your companion. Um, but uh, I don't know. Like it it, it seems like it, it it seems like they've kind of like given way to the like it. it it's interesting because it opens up a bunch of the design space, mm. um, right, for things that like you know are like that like essentially trust based features i guess um like like this doesn't seem like particularly high trust right like you know you could have a 58 card deck and no one's really enforcing that uh, like kitchen table of magic and so like you know yeah. cheating with your companions is kind of like stop being a dick right like um i i guess it's no it's no worse than anything else it's just like kind of like less easy to uh, verify I, I, I don't know uh what, 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 do, you, do you have any Do you have any particular thoughts on that? On yeah, on so
1: in Hearthstone, this is one of those things that works well in Hearthstone because the de- the computer just automatically knows, right? the cu- The computer is essentially a judge assigned to your table at all times, constantly making rulings, right? Like the correct kind of like rulings. Companion requires like that judge to be there. I mean, and like in like official stuff, right? You know, you submit your deck list and whatever else. Like, I'm sure this won't be like a problem for the e e-sport? esports, is it an esport? it's not an esport. not it's yet professional gaming i don't know I, what, whatever you call i want to call it, it's a sport but it feels like it should be an e because it's like a you know it's like a yeah it's like a cart or it's like a computer game it's, even though it's not it's, but it's paper it's a, nerd, right? it's, so. it's, it's a nerdy thing <laughs> the it's a organized nerd sport. like competitive version of magic right um you it feels like uh, that, that I'm sure, will be completely fine, right? Because those guys, yeah. like, they do deck list submissions and all this other sort of stuff. Um, the place where I think is going to be weird is kitchen table magic, right? Like, are you seriously suggesting that I'm going to need, like, all of my friends to thumb through my whole deck to make sure that I'm, like, following, like, the rules? Come on. They're, like, that seems really shitty to me. Um,
0: yeah, but so, so I, I, like... Thinking about it, I, I don't think that that's like a real issue because it's not like it's not like if when your friend hands you your, your deck, you don't like check to make sure it's at least 60 cards, but you kind of trust that's the case, right? And like these companion abilities aren't anything that's like able to be hidden, right? Like if you have like the, the example they have on the uh on the page is like this uh, it's like hippo something that has like you know, mu- your deck must have. Cards or cards uh, of converted mana cost three or less in order to, um, in order to cast, uh, in order to cast it as a companion. Um, if that's the case, and you cast it as a companion, and then you play a card with converted mana cost three or greater, you'd just be like, "What the fuck, dude?" Right? Like, um, like you know, like you know, like that they're like you know they're cheating the same way that they you know if you, they tap a white mana to cast a red spell, they'd be cheating, and at that point, it's like, "Well, stop being a dick." Um, uh, and it's like super visible, and, like, if it never comes up, that doesn't have any effect on the gameplay. Unless there's, like, some, like, companion, uh, basically con- companion, um, uh, like, condition that I'm not seeing, it doesn't seem like it'd be, like, a, a huge deal. Like, maybe yeah, there's one some... Of the, that... One
1: of the companions immediately got banned in Commander. Uh, uh well, funnily enough. Lutri, the Chaser was a companion with the thing that said each non-land card in your starting deck has a different name, which means singleton, right? Um... And the, the commander people realized every single commander deck that is in blue and red fulfills that condition definitionally, right? You yeah, cannot play commander free. with two cards of the same name in your deck. Or, well, you can, but it has to be, like, persi- persistent partitioners, whatever else. Anyway, um, and so they saw Lutri and later that day immediately banned the card.
0: <laughs> I mean, I it, pretty funny. It, it makes sense because it's, like, a must-have, right? Like, the, the, it, Yeah, like, it
1: is essentially a free card that is always in your hand if you're if you're in blue and red there is literally no downside to playing Tree. um yeah. at all times
0: yeah and like maybe that's a little bit harder to keep track of at the kitchen table like did he play another one of those um but like it's also one of those things where it's like well if you're gonna be if you're gonna fucking cheat like you know like then you're a shitty person anyway right like don't play with that person i don't know i, I feel like i feel like it's it's I feel like on face it looks like it's a lot worse than it actually is.
1: Okay, that's actually, you know what, that's fair, I guess. I don't know. I've seen I've seen a lot of people express not outrage, but disbelief at the cards that have been coming out which is a little bit funny because hearthstone is also doing a big expansion release tomorrow where everyone is incredibly jazzed uh because that's coming like with the demon hunter and stuff though we're out of time so i guess i won't talk about that until next week and i've had a chance to play with some of the new cards and the new decks awesome all i want is for quest warrior to still be fun doesn't have to be good it just needs to be fun i have been losing with it a lot recently which sucks uh, <laughs> I'm very sad about
0: that. Well, but, yeah. uh, you can tell us if Quest Warrior is fun next week, I guess. If you'd like to email us and tell us what you think about how fun Quest Warrior is or whether you think Companion is a good idea or any of the other things you talked about on this podcast, you can email us at podcast.sumnoticeplaygames.com at or at gmail.com. You can follow us on uh, Twitter um, and uh, SoundCloud and everywhere else that we have accounts. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, And, uh, or wherever else you listen to your podcast, uh, that's everything I had, buddy. Do you have anything else you're looking to promote?
1: I have nothing else I'm looking to promote.
0: In that case, until next time, dear listeners.
1: Until next time, loyal listeners.